Okay. Anish, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? How are you, buddy? Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Really good to see you too. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. No, it's a pleasure. It's nice to connect uh, internationally in different ways now. Normally we would have met in Baselworld or in SIHH or... Definitely. Uh, Definitely or in London where we met the first time. Yeah. But uh, you call Cyprus home now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. So, and that's where you are right now? That's where I am, yeah. I want you to show our viewers your funky swim shorts. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> I just came back from the beach, so excuse me. But uh, yeah. And from the beach, and you have a pool outside, I just yeah. saw. And yeah. I got dressed like Anish. Ah, see. Who wants to be like Anish? So I, especially for you, I'll put a trip piece on for you. So that's the difference. It's pretty hot outside, if you want to see. Nice. So it's too, nice. it's, it's too hot for a tuxedo, unfortunately. No problem. And that's and that's the beauty of actually you summarize who you are going from cosmopolitan Savile Row to globetrotting beach partier, which you are. Before <laughs> I give my intro about who you are, do you want to introduce yourself? Although you have 1.7 million people that at least know you because that's your Instagram following. But for those that are watching and don't know you, please give a short intro, Anish. Um Okay, so my name is Anish Pratt. I am, um, like many people that are probably watching this, like Alon himself and uh, many of his friends, uh, a watch enthusiast, uh, someone who has spent the best part of 20 years learning uh, about watches as, you know, from, from a very passionate place uh, within myself. And I started um, to communicate about this from a point of view of myself, which is someone that's, that was very in love with watches, but also with fashion and architecture and arts uh, and other things that I found to be pleasing, you know, on an on a emotional level. Um, and I started to talk about this, uh, and I guess initially I was, I was doing it on my own and I, I tapped into a market that maybe hadn't been uh, addressed within traditional watch media at that time. It's about 10 years ago now. Uh, and through a mixture of hard work and luck, um, grew a very substantial social media following uh, and grew a team that, that have worked with me for a, a long time and very closely um, to help us grow as a, as a business, as a brand and as a voice for um, watchmaking uh, established and contemporary uh, modern independent watchmaking as well. Um, and the, the best thing that it's afforded uh, me to do is to travel and to meet so many people with similar passions and interests, but from all different places in the world and all different backgrounds and ways of life. Um, so, uh, and that's kind of it in a very abbreviated way. Um, Thank you for sharing. You're being very modest because <laughs> we were overloaded by feedback when we announced that you were our 13th guest on the Ace List Live. And what was awesome to see that the old dogs in the watch industry were like, oh, awesome, so cool to hear about Anish, how's he doing? Because you evolved as a collector and also as, um, I don't like the word influencer, yeah? I, I, I call you a media content producer um, and you're more than that. Um, and 
it was awesome to see their response. I was overwhelmed by the younger fans that are entering the watch market that really look up to you and what you guys as a team do. Um, and, and they see you as an entrepreneur who um, not only works hard, but delivers quality over and over because you're being very modest. It wasn't luck. You are, are a visionary. You are a visionary. Um, because my intro of you is, is we met actually, I believe, a decade ago. And if I'm not wrong, it was in London or in Basel. Yeah. We connected on a personal level. How old are you now, Anish? I'm 39 now. Yeah. yeah, so we're two years apart. So we're a bit of the same generation. Back then, we were young, passionate dogs. You still yeah. look young. I'm an old geezer now. But um, uh, retail's killing, and it's good to be, you see, a media producer. But... <laughs> Um, you, you, you were a visionary because you, and this is my interpretation is how I perceived it is you understood Instagram immediately. And what a lot of people still may, I don't know how old Instagram is 10 years old, still maybe don't understand today that it's a visual platform. It was meant to share beautiful photographs. Yeah. And that was what Instagram was built for. Yeah. And you understood that. And so besides making beautiful pictures where nobody did at the beginning, especially in the watch industry, you combined lifestyle with watchmaking, which wasn't done back then. Right. And for those that don't know Watch Anish, um, and, and Dala, my, my colleague and team member, is uh, handling backstage. Maybe he can shoot in some pictures of the early work that Anish did. It was visually beautiful. It was innovative. The background that we see right now is one of the signature shots, which later on came when you did rooftops. But this one was taken from a helicopter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this was a, like a, an open door helicopter in New York. Yeah. We still have the Empire State Building. Yeah. And where you took a wrist shot. So that's a, that's a thing. Of a $2 million Google Force over the Empire State Building. Yeah, amazing. Oh, uh, Amazing. Amazing. So so that's how you combine it. And then early on, Seven Friday was also innovative. Dan, neither our, our mutual friend, yeah, yeah. really understood it and he understood you. I believe you guys were his marketing agency, right? You guys I shot. Mean, we, yeah, we did kind of all the content together you know we came up with the ideas together we came up with the direction together we came up with the positioning of the brand together you know how should seven friday be positioned what what does it say what is the emotion that it should convey what is the target market is there a target market or is it something that can appeal to everyone regardless of budget how can we do that you know what is something that we can do that hasn't been done you know, by traditional watch brands, you know, we have freedom, you know, instead of looking at, um, at constraints of, um, you know, being a startup, it's, it's, let's look at the freedom that we have to really create what we want rather than having to go stereotypically, you know, dictated by history or by blah, 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 and whatever. We have the chance to do something really different. So, yeah, which is amazing. So let's do that. Let's create something really cool and position the brand in a really cool way. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it was a really amazing time. It was, you know, I, I, Dan is still a really good friend, and 
and um, it's, it's still a really good brand, you know. But I think at that time, especially, it was something that really hadn't been done before at that price position, and to have it really work so well through social media, which you know was um, in the beginning stages of becoming such a dominant force in marketing in multiple categories, you know, not just watches, but across the board. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and that's where we also work together because we were the exclusive retail of uh, Seven Friday back in the Netherlands yeah. and, and, and you evolve and when you become successful, stigma sticks to you. Um, when you become successful, you have a lot of player haters. I also got feedback like, oh, Anish is so different than you. And uh, he's, 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 he's a show off. And uh, this, I said, whoa, hold up, guys. I, mean, I said, that's okay. Okay. Sure. Guys I said I'm not going to say a word. I want you to watch this session. He's a stand-up guy. He's an amazing guy. He's a modest guy. Those travels that he do, does are authentic. His friends are authentic. And um he, he he carved out a niche so i think now you're often misunderstood and that's why i'm also happy to do this show <laughs> thank you after our thank seven you. questions i want to do a deep dive on that evolution sure so i consider this an intro yeah. i said he he is not a show-off he really loves watches and he really understands watches and that's why he went into the niche of the ultra artisan which per definition is ultra luxury and that's the lifestyle comes with. So that is my interpretation and explanation. But before we start, we Thank need you. to do our wrist check. So what are you wearing today? Uh, I have um, a, a pretty simple 6263 here. Uh -huh. um, and Rolex, uh, Daytona, chronograph. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here I have a... A diamond Frank Muller, I was at the beach and I wanted to take some pictures in the water. So it's a uh, Vanguard yachting in blue, which is- You need to walk, you need to walk to your screen. We need to close up Anish, come on, walk up. We already saw your swim shorts. My swim shorts already, so. All right, uh, bling, bling. I don't know if we can see so clearly and yeah. my 363, if you can see there. Yeah. yeah. So the you married, you started off with vintage, vintage, right? You loved vintage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You always loved? And you married the ultra modern as well, and I think that's also the, the duality, yeah, in your passions, which I yeah. have as well. I think I think like it, it goes across all different types of of things that I like, you know, whether it's fashion, like you say, you know, like very casual to very formal clothing. I like both, um, you know, in art, I can appreciate, you know subtle contemporary or, or um, uh, quite minimalistic art or also very colorful very uh, alternative types of art as well so so my, my taste has always been quite eclectic and it's the same with watches because when i started learning about watches i started learning about vintage watches and especially it was like quite crazy to me how um you know a 40 year old watch could be worth times 30 what it was originally worth you know how does that happen what part does the provenance have to play in it what part does this have to play in it or that have to play in it um and then i was fascinated by modern uh, independent watchmaking especially 
mm-hmm. you know, like really complicated mechanical ways of telling the time um, and what artistry and, and mathematics goes into making that type of wearable mechanical art piece. Um, and, and I really love independent watchmaking because I feel like they take a lot more risks. I feel like there's, uh, it's, it's a different, it's a different type of product almost to a, to a more mass produced brand. And they all, they each have their qualities yeah. and, I, and I really understand both and I love both uh, in equal measures. So um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not one that's like, oh, I only love vintage or I only love one brand or I only love modern, you know, I kind of love everything. And it yeah. can be, it can be expensive or it can be not expensive. It's not about the price. Um, yeah. It's a very different type of proposition and, and interest for me. Yeah, nice. So I racked my brain to decide what I should wear that would embody Anish that you would like. And then I said, you know what? This is Anish for me. It's the Ulysna then. Yeah. Executive tourbillon, yeah, but a contemporary one. So skeleton, titanium, yeah, and that's what what you are for me. It's indeed the independent, contemporary, complicated hotelogerie. So it's it's cutting edge, and that's what you do in whatever you do. You push the yeah. envelope, but while having fun. So it's always with a smile. Yeah, because um, the thing is, when when you're talking or when we're talking. Uh, about luxury items, uh, especially watches that we know can cost a really high amount uh, of money. It's very easy for people to interpret that as being boastful or showing off or, or talking down to other people. And and it's only really a, a, when you get into watch collecting that you understand it's not about that. That's not the passion or the draw. Um, and... I've always tried to communicate and be mindful of the way that we talk as a brand uh, about these expensive items, you know, to do it in a way that still has an air of realism, it still has some comedy to it or humbleness or whatever it is to make it not so serious. It's not life and death. Exactly. And, and that's what I wanted to ask you. A lot of people ask me, why would men wear diamonds on their watches? Right. And my answer is, why not? Yeah, why take yourself so serious? Why take uh, and, and in our industry, a lot of people are too serious, yeah. Um, and I think that's what you do, do well you marry the respect for the craftsmanship and the technology and the design, but with um, la dolce vita, with the good things of life, having fun. I think in your storytelling, is also when you meet up with friends, it's about celebrating life, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Do I interpret that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that is really the, the best thing that has, has come out of all of this is it's not the, you know, most people say to you, oh, you became famous or whatever. That must be amazing. But really, the, it, it, the, the only thing that I would say that is the, the biggest draw for me in doing this, that, that is the reason why it keeps driving me to do more and more is the amount of people that you meet and you connect with around the world that you would have never met mm-hmm. and never built friendships with mm-hmm. because of this passion and because yeah. of what you know it's evolved into and that for me is that is really the best thing um 
about this and, and about nice. what you do. And for me, with you, it's not about a risk check only because although your brand name has watch in it, it was yeah. never only about watches. It's about lifestyle. You love supercars. And I know you love jewelry. So especially yeah. for you, I put my titanium. I am. Achilles. I love them. Bullet cufflinks. Because I know you love Achilles as well. I do. Actually, I have my necklace upstairs. I feel like I should go get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this. So I match my titanium watch with my titanium cufflinks for you. Um, and I know you, you, you guys also... Uh, you see the skateboards behind your new wall. Yeah. Uh, you've also sold accessories and you also designed bracelets. And uh, yeah. how's that going? Where are you with that today? It does. It does really well. We we always keep it in a in a limited quantity and a limited amount of time to purchase because I don't want to oversaturate. And the idea is not to be like a, a store that always has stuff on there, mm -hmm. but the idea is to make a limited amount of things that are interesting. Uh, and to sell out quickly and then to come with a different idea. And we move from accessories and bracelets and hats to artwork and, and different things, you know, things that we find interesting. We've done bags, we've done um, a number of products. Um, we've done humidors, you know, like passport cases. Uh, Credit card. Yeah, yeah. That was um, a cool thing. Thank you. Yeah, the credit card is very cool. Uh, um, as well. so it's nice because it affords us the ability to keep changing and doing stuff and, and the idea when I made actually like the even the name Watch Anish was never meant in, in like a, such a specific way like the name originally was my Skype username Watch Anish because yeah. I had an email address which was email Anish so I thought okay for Skype okay it makes sense I'll do it. I'll call it Watch Anish and that was the idea so really that that's where it originated from and then when we did the logo um I said I kind of want something that isn't so specifically linked to a watch, but I want something that would look good on anything. It would look yeah. good on clothing. It would look on a wall. It would look, you know. So what can we do? And originally, I really hated this design of the logo. Uh, the line, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it grew on me after a while, but I, I originally didn't like it. You know, I I, I had a graphics guy uh, called Michael who worked with me from the beginning, and he. He worked on this with a couple of people and came back with it. And I was like, no, I don't like it. I don't know. It was a bit stupid. But I mean, we stuck with it. And in the end, that's like, cool. That's cool. It's, it's I think it cool. marries the traditional king of the jungle, uh, regal with contemporary because it's a contemporary lion and you need to look twice what it is, right? So I think yeah. it's a good. So you already tackled two questions of our viewers that sent in the questions beforehand because they couldn't join us live. So they asked yeah. why watch Anish and what does the logo mean? So that's a good thing. Should we now roll into the seven, the Aces questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So it. the first one is what watch or jewel is your favorite and why? Oh, wow. Um, tough question. Uh, I mean, I think um, with me, like I, I have watches that have different sentimental value to me for different reasons or different emotional value for me or, or different aesthetic value for me. And, and each different watch I wear, it, it has a slightly different trigger of endorphin, you know, that I get from it. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel, but like, I guess, any given period of time, 
you'll have a favorite, but that might be for a week or a couple of days. And then there's something else that you're like, oh, that's so cool as well, or that's so cool. It is. For me, it's an impossible question to answer is what one watch is your favorite, you know? And for jewelry, also, it's the same. I have the same appreciation um, for jewelry and, and fine jewelry, especially, and, and the work that goes into that. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, on, on any given day, that the answer to those questions will be different. Um, okay, so let me put a gun to your head. Yeah. Top of mind, you need to answer now. What okay. would it be? And I, I have one in my in my mind that you would have guessed, or I guess one you would mention. If if I had to wear one watch for the rest of my life, yeah, you mean, that I own, or that I would wish to own, is also like you got to give me a yeah. Uh, so is it one that I own at the moment, or is it one that I wish to own at some point? We can answer both. You can have the top of your wrist I mean, list, your wish list. Probably the the one that I own at the moment that. I would say gets the most like wow feedback from everyone that sees it is probably my Jacob Godfather. Um, because one, because of the aesthetics of it, it's very different, it's very unusual. It's a large watch, it's a huge sapphire crystal like that goes all the way around the top and the sides of the watch with no bezel. And the complication is amazing. You know, when you show people the detail of like the mini figurine of Don Corleone in the middle, smoking a cigar, then you play the music. And the Godfather, obviously, for guys, has like a real, um, it's almost a rite of passage that you have to watch that movie as a man growing up. So uh, I think for various reasons, like of the watches that I own, um, it's the one that gets the most attention. It's the one that, that I always know, you know, people are going to ask, what is that? Can I see it? Oh, wow, that's so cool. Kind of thing, which obviously justifies your purchase at the end of the day in, in some way. Um, it's part of the it's part of the the reason why you feel good about buying anything you know uh, is 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 somewhat it's as shallow as it sounds it's also we want other people to be like oh wow that's a cool choice whatever it is you know if it's a vintage watch hey, why, why why anish would you call that shallow it's 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 no, i think to have a kinship that somebody appreciates your passion right yeah, that's why we watch collectors connect yeah yeah but i don't want it to come across as shallow because the the thing well, is that if we talk about buying things purely for pleasing other people, it comes across as shallow, right? There's no appreciation. You're just buying something and other people are going to like it. it I don't think that anybody who does, who buys the modern Jacob and Cozy, I'm not talking about the big five time <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, the old school that made yeah. them fit, which was cool back in the day. I mean, it was innovative. Uh, what they're doing now is crazy. Look at the Bugatti. I was sitting for an hour looking yeah. at it yeah. studying yeah. it it's because amazing. i i've seen the bugattis that were made by parmigiani were yeah. parmigiani Flair, which were crazy yeah but this one it's it's out of this world you're like this is That's a rendering this cannot be real yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and this is a shout out to keith strandberg as well because i love that guy and it's cool he, he crossed over from right. the white side to the black side he's on the watchmaking side so i love him as well amazing right. guy so this is a shout out to our buddy Keith. Um, so that's nice. Okay, awesome. And and on your wish list, top of your uh, wish. Uh, oh God, um, God, wish list. I think on any given day it will rotate between a Rolex six two seven zero, which was the yellow gold. 
Daytona with the Pave dial and, and baguette bezels. I think they said they made seven. I was lucky enough to have seen two in my lifetime. Um, or a Patek um, 5208, maybe super complication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like insane. This watch is like outrageous to me. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, or, or maybe the Patek 5208, a, a, an ultimate complication, Chrono Perpetual Tourbillon in a sports case. Um, uh, but then like independent brands I love as well. You know, I love what Google's doing. I love like, they just did this, this Sapphire piece um, that I love. Um, I love what MBNF is doing. And so, you know, on any given day, there's, there's so many and there's no real right or wrong answer no, there isn't. There isn't. You know, Langer is doing amazing stuff. Omega have done some amazing vintage pieces that yeah. have standing provenance. I mean, there's the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on. You know, so. it's interesting though. Huh? You are um, um, consecutive in in your wishes. So you wear a vintage and contemporary, right? And in your wish list, it's again old school Patek Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> So that's nice. All right, thank you for sharing, Anish. Second, I mean, I can, ask, I can ask you the same. I don't know if you've asked, answered it already before. Maybe in, I haven't actually. It's, no. it's the, show, the show is actually not about me. That'd be uh, nice to hear. Of. So, so, um, in my collection, I don't have one. It's super difficult, as you said. Right. Every watch has a story, an emotional connection, yeah. and. Wearing them, the rotation with me is very odd. I could rotate, change twice a day. I could wear something for one or two weeks and not rotate at all. Yeah. But often it depends on my mood, what I'm doing that day. Am I working suited up? Am I casual? Yeah. Um, so I have a lot. But um, th there are two that stand out for me. My wife gave me a watch, which is very difficult, obviously, as I'm a jeweler and I already have that many watches. So for the birth of each of our child, she gave me a watch, which is engraved with the name and dates and will be passed on to them when they're 18. So I have a boy and a girl. Boy got a moon watch, 42 millimeters. The girl got a first Amiga in space, which is smaller. Okay. And that's it. So we did something that's classic, timeless. And I racked my brain, what would be still iconic in 18 years? So that has very, very special meaning to me. And I'm super proud that we did collabs. So our own Ace Limiteds are very dear to me. So it has nothing to do with, with value. Um, so, so that's in my current collection. Top of my dream wish list. As I'm a kid, I'm in love with FP Jewel. Yeah. Yeah, amazing brand. So a resonance and a tourbillon. That, that, that's something that, that is high on my list. Okay. So, but but also I can list a list of Pateks. I'm actually saving up for a Patek right now because okay. I have the 5711, yeah, uh, 1A, which I gave to my dad. So, okay. so the blue dial, I had that. I had a jumbo Royal Oak, mm -hmm. Jaeger caliber, which okay. I sold, <laughs> which I sold. So I regret that. So that's on my list. So those are the classic ones. Um, with the independence, um, I'm currently, my my Ulysse Daner Freak X gets a lot of risk time. Yeah, super watch. But that feeds your appetite to get the real freak. 
Yeah. 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 Those are, but I can't go on. But again, it's not about me. So let's go to the second question. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up, Anish? Um, I don't really know, Where to be honest. Up, by the way, I know you're Gujarati, but you yeah. grew up in London, right? I grew up in London, yeah. I was, yeah. I was born in London and I lived um, a lot of my life in London. Um, and as uh, a child in an urban environment, um, I, uh, you know, I was, I was surrounded by a lot of things and, and so on and so on, but I didn't really have a direction. You know? I was quite uh, easily distracted, I would say, as a child. So yeah. I wasn't someone that like, by the age of 16 or even 18 knew what I wanted to do, you know? And, and it wasn't even like, I mean, okay, every kid, you know, from a working class background would be like, hey, I want to be successful or whatever, but that doesn't really mean anything. Everyone wants to be successful, but I didn't really have any direction of what I wanted to do. Um, I studied uh, I studied pharmacology at university, but I didn't finish my degree. Um, I I came back. I was studying in Manchester. Then came back to London, aged like 19, 20. I started DJing, um, and I was just working different jobs. Um, but I didn't really have a clue on what I wanted to do specifically. Um, and I was kind of just working and seeing what was happening. And I, uh, and I had interests and I'm very fortunate that I somehow, you know, I didn't have some master plan. I didn't do a marketing degree. I didn't do even a marketing course in my life, but I somehow managed to, to take something that I really have as a passion and find people to build a team with that really catapulted what was an interest into a, a very good career and business. Nice. So I, I want to interject my question already and not save it to the end. We have a lot of young viewers, as I said. A lot of them look up to you sure. um, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, for those that are wondering what Anish is doing, he's looking at his phone all the time. And one of the questions is why you're so successful on Instagram. And I'll answer that question. It's because you're on top of things. It's you. And you always answer. And you answer everybody, and you're quick. So we'll forgive him for looking at his phone because that's what he does. That's one of the key ingredients of his success. But let me let you answer it. So for young guys and girls that look up to you and want to be an entrepreneur and they want to be – and again, I, I say this over and over. I hate the word influencer. But yeah. let's call it a content creator or they want to um, – Share their passion of whatever it is. It can be watchmaking, Majuli, or whatever. Online nowadays, what tips would you give these youngsters watching? I think I think the, the biggest thing I would say, and, and people ask me this question a lot, and my answer is always quite similar because I think the key is to be authentic in what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's always going to be elements where you feel like you have to latch on to something, whether it's a trend or a social topic or something like that, that's fine. But you should always be authentic in what you're doing and what you're saying, because it comes across and people can see when you're not. Um, and I think if you're authentic about something, you always talk about it in a much more passionate way. You don't need to rehearse answers and you don't need to rehearse lines that you're gonna say, you just say stuff. And it comes out because that's, you live through that you live through and you're say, talking about what you're experiencing what your true thoughts are and i think the authenticity is a big thing um 
And if you can find something that you are passionate about and you can talk about, and it could be any small subgenre, you know, or whatever it is, but, you know, kind of own that and, and be the voice of whatever it is that you want to, to, to convey and, and do it in an authentic way. And that's always the hardest thing because I think mm-hmm. people are preoccupied with thinking, okay, if I, if I talk about this, then I'm going to get some traction or I'm going to go viral or mm-hmm. I'm going to so on so on but all of that is quite short-lived mm-hmm. and um, without without having an authenticity behind what you say it, it, it comes and goes like so quickly um so that's probably the the, the main piece of advice that i would give because i don't think people really consider that when they think about how to build you know whatever it is they're trying to do an online following or or some kind of traction within the watch industry or or media marketing whatever you want to call it thanks thanks for sharing that so i do a lot i do consultancy work i also do mentoring i have professional entrepreneurs blah 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 but i also do pro bono stuff especially young kids i love the most and i do that free of charge what i always tell them is a follow your heart and your passion Mm -hmm. do something you love otherwise you can't sustain Second is what you said, is be authentic. You can't fake authenticity and friendliness. Yes. This is what you said exactly spot on. Third, I say work hard. Yeah. I find to generalize, it's not nice to generalize, but the younger generations, they're not lazy, but they want to make a quick buck. And it takes time. It takes a lot of hard work. People think they see you just hanging out, having fun. But yeah. I'm quite sure you work 18 hours a day, although you have a family, a young child, a beautiful daughter, which we've seen online. Thank you. I assume you work 18 hours, seven days a week. Yeah. yeah. Am I near? Am I guess? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what people don't see and, and don't hear. But you need yeah. to grind 24-7. Yeah. And, and people think now you're famous and your team is doing everything. But I assume you still post stuff yourself, you answer everything yourself, you answer emails, and it's not just me, I know you answer all my emails on time, but it's 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 a work ethic, am I right? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the thing is that, I think I think probably what I would say is that people are not, it, uh, maybe I wouldn't call it a quick buck, but I would say there's an impatience to, yeah. to, to attain some, some form of recognition. That's my fourth thing, patience. Yeah. And that's into the third. To the working hard, yeah. you need to invest. Yeah. And it takes time and years and years. It didn't yeah. come over. I did it. No, no, no. Of course not. And you get, you have a lot of setbacks. You have, you know, when I was doing it, you know, as a young person coming into what is quite a traditional industry, um, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't mean it to come across in a bad way, but there's a lot of people that look at you like, hey, who's this guy? You know, he's I'm not he's not like a journalist, like he's not written for XYZ publication, he's not, you know, 50 plus years old. What does he know? You know, he's coming with all these flash suits and you know, colorful shoes, and you know, so there's it people don't see what you see, right? You might have a vision of something. Mm-hmm. People don't really see that. And and sometimes you really just have to believe in yourself mm-hmm. and and you don't have to push yourself on people, but you have to have belief in what you're doing. You have to okay, so, 
So it's a very, very good point you're, you're highlighting. That glass ceiling that you were held back, how did you break through? Um, Besides having belief in yourself. It's a mixture. It's perseverance. It's showing really that, hey, look, you know, what we're doing has some positive effect, you know, on this market, actually. Here's the proof. Here's the results. You know, here's something that we did. And this is what happened on the back of that. This is what happened as a direct result of that. You know, whether it's like something that we took and showcased and it had a direct impact globally on the sales of that product that was stagnant, you know, for a long period of time before that. Um, and other things that are quite easily measurable when you put it in front of people, then, then you know, people don't really have a choice but to, to say, yeah, actually, that makes sense. And, and when it came to brands, the, the clients of the brands were really our best um, ambassadors because they were going to the retailers and they were going to the brands, you know, big collectors that had been collectors for years and be like, hey, by the way, you know, there's this guy, this young guy, I don't know, and he's putting really cool stuff and I saw this and, you know, I saw it on his page and it's cool and can I order it? And, you know, so, so like people were saying, hey, you know, this is really how people are digesting information now. It's not the traditional billboard advertising or, you know, like uh, more traditional means of communication in the watch industry. People are getting their information from this young guy who's like a bit eccentric and, you know, but he seems to be doing something. And, and at some point it becomes like a brute force that, that you can't ignore. And that really for us was our breakthrough. Nice. So the visionary that you are, I wanted to ask you this later on, but I'm going to kind of jump in. Yeah. So a lot of people, and especially marketeers, feel that we plateaued on the growth graph yeah yeah so, and everybody's like what's next what's your view on that i think i think there's always gonna there's always gonna be a plateau because ultimately the systems change people get used to certain things and what starts off as exciting and new can become the norm the norm let's say so I think you always need to be adaptable to, to change and evolution. And I think if we're talking, let, let me use you like as an example. You know, this isn't something that we that we rehearsed or, or what or spoke about or even said. Uh, let's speak about it. But I, I asked you a question, you know, when we first talked about doing this live a week ago uh, about how your business is during this time. And you said to me, it's, if I'm allowed to say, you said to me, it's 10% up compared to last year, which is a figure that, you know, most businesses uh, cannot even imagine, you know, at a time like this, where we have so many things going on in the world that are preventing people from wanting to spend money on anything but essential items. Mm -hmm. And I think a big reason for that is the speed of evolution of your business. How have you evolved during this time? Have you sat back and been like, oh my God, like everything is messed up and, I don't have customers coming through the door and I don't have people like sending me inquiries and da, da, da. I'm going to close my shop and I'm going to wait and see what happens. Or did you say, here's an opportunity where I think a lot of people who are my competition or a lot of people that are in the same sector as me are going to take their eye off the ball a little bit in terms of marketing and communication and hitting their clients and, 
and developing relationships and maintaining relationships with your clients is an opportunity for me to build that relationship with more people and get them to understand what we're about and get them to understand something. And maybe it's a short play, maybe it's a long play, but let's see it as a long play. Let's see it as something where maybe that client's not going to buy anything for two years, but in two years, he's going to remember. And I'm going to have two years worth of history and relationship with that client where they're going to come to me after. And I've managed to do that at a time where I have very much less competition than I would have to attract someone with that type of disposable income. Mm -hmm. So evolution is really, and speed of evolution is really the key in being able to stay ahead of whatever's going to happen. Because I can't predict. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in media. I don't know what Instagram's going to do with their algorithm. Tomorrow they might change it and say, you know, we're not going to promote anything unless there's like a yellow ladder in the background of it, whatever it's going to be, right? We don't know. But what we do know is how fast we are willing to adapt and evolve what we're doing in order to get the maximum um, efficiency and benefit. Out well, of I, I, I am, I'm, you know that I, I'm a huge fan of you and what you guys do. I love you as a person. And you threw another curveball marketing-wise, which is eBay, which I want to discuss later because I'm totally getting off off schedule. Um, but I want to park that one because that was an amazing curveball, and, and I love that. And it's a rhetorical question, but I want to know why did eBay choose Anish? But question three now: Who's your role model, or was your role model, or role models? Um, I, th I mean, it's diff it's difficult to say. I mean, like I think. A lot of people for different reasons. I think my parents, because they worked very, very hard. I saw them every day, you know, during my childhood, um, working seven days a week, you know, 18, 19 hours a day sometimes um, to, uh, you know, to move to a different country with no, you know, no one really around them that was like, hey, come and I'll look after you. They did it all themselves um, to, to bring up you know, their children and provide as much as they could for them and to teach them the importance of certain things. So, you know, that, that, that for me is, is one of my biggest um, uh, influences that I look at and, and take, you know, as many positives as I can from them and, and their ethos. Um, and then I think I look, at, I look at other people, I look at people within our industry that did, you know, really cool, amazing things that, weren't done before you know you look at people like Jean-Claude Biver who came and revolutionized a, a brand that was really you know that no one really cared about like Hublot for example and then later down the line LVMH uh, watch division as a whole you know and whatever you think about Hublot as a brand or designer whatever you cannot argue that he didn't come in and they could and whatever team he built around him didn't do an insane job in bringing that brand from a turnover of 25 million a year within 10 years to I think half a billion a year in turnover. That yeah. is unbelievable in a watch industry, which is already quite competitive as it is. You know, he came in and he did something very, very different. So, um, you know, and, and, and when, when you listen to him speak, he's so energetic, he's so charismatic, he's captivating. He talks like a guy that's 21 years old it's unbelievable the energy that this guy has and that was the first thing that i felt was like wow this is insane like i don't even i don't even know sometimes maybe he's talking french and i don't know what he's talking about but he's so interesting and captivating his his mannerisms and the, the way he vocalizes certain things so you know for me that was a that was a big inspiration um 
and a role model. You know, within if we're talking within watch media, of course, like I, I don't look as at, at people as competition. Actually, the way I see things is that the more good watch media there is, the better it is for all of us because it's better communication. It's better. Um, it's better uh, reach of audience. And ultimately, the reason why I did this is because I want other people to love watches the way I love watches. And, you know, it's this, I, I give this example like a lot because maybe it's the most relatable, but it's, the way I saw it was like, if, if I go to a nice restaurant and, and I end up talking with you and you say, hey, I'm coming to Cyprus and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, hey, you've got, you have to go to this place. It's like amazing seafood. It's like 15 minutes drive. It's by the coast and it's so good. And ask for this guy. He's, he's going to give you like the best food and best fish, right? Because I had such a good experience with it that I want you to have that experience or better. And that's how I feel about watches. Because when I was like 20 years old and I was trying to talk to people about vintage Daytonas, people were like, what are you talking about? That's not interesting. And I wanted people to be interested in it in the way that I am. I wanted people to be in love with it the way that I was. So when I talk about other watch media, it's great that there are other very good publications that are doing good things, you know? And it doesn't need to be a competition of, you're the best or I'm the best or he's the best. No, everyone should be good. And the more good communication there is, the more good publications there are, the better it is for, for everyone, you know? So I, in, within that, like, that peer group, I would say people like Waco who did like, and is doing still amazing things. The Rake is like probably my favorite print publication to date in any category. And that for me is like perfect what, what he does there. Revolution, of course, is, is amazing and they push a lot of boundaries there. What Ben did with Hidinki is, is great and their business model changed and whatever, but at the end of the day, it's, it's very strong and, and you know it was brave to do a lot of the moves that they did very early on. And there's new people that are coming on the scene that are doing really good stuff as well, specialists in certain divisions. You know, my friend, my friend Jassim, he does Patek Holic and he's amazing. He's a reference for Patek Philippe. I don't think there's any single person in this world that even Patek in-house could say is as well looked at in terms of like being a reference point for Patek than him. And he does it as a passion. You know, he does it because he loves that brand. He really loves that brand. He loves you his logo is a tribute to your logo. No, I don't think so. I mean, his tribute, <laughs> he's, he's, he is a rhino. I mean, he, he is a rhino. He's the human equivalent of a rhino. He's big, he's powerful, he's strong, he's hilarious, he's funny, his voice like echoes through a room. And I love that guy. I think he's amazing, you know, and I've known him. I knew him from the beginning, you know, before he started Patekaholic and he was just talking about Patek on his own. And and, and, and we met in London, um, I think 2011 or something like that in a cigar lounge in Knightsbridge. And and we just started, we, we had been talking on online a little bit before then, but it was really nice to meet him in person. And he's so energetic and charismatic. And me, I love people that have embodied that same thing. And he really is like someone that that what you see, you know, what you see on Patekaholic is maybe 20% of his personality. He's such an amazing guy. And, and he champions that brand in a way that I think like they would have paid a marketing agency like tens or uh, I don't know how many millions of euros to have someone like him champion that brand the way he has. And probably the amount of recognition for that brand that he's brought Amazing. And, and, and even in the same vein, like you look at what uh, Robert Yan and the guys at Fratello did for Omega. 
Yeah. You know, the guys that love those brands, these are guys that champion these brands, you know, yeah. like, and, and it, again, it's like authenticity, it's passion, it's like believing in what you're saying, it's believing, like talking about something that, that you hold very dear and wanting to share it with other people, like what they did for Omega with Speedy Tuesday, with all the other stuff, you know, like, it's yeah. amazing. So, so I, I love those people. I love seeing people like that do well. I love seeing them succeed. I try to support as much as I can because... I think it's needed, you know. I think we should support things that are positive within this community. And this is what I love about you. And it shows also that you mean what you say because I messaged you indeed like more than a week ago. You immediately said yes. You didn't ask why, what, how. You said immediately yes and you, you supported us. This whole thing, the ACES was a little brainwave I had in the summer just to right. share passion and knowledge about watches, jewelry, what we do offline, online with Instagram. But in these crazy times, we wanted to make it more visual. Right. So it's actually rather successful. We're getting, getting great feedback. And and you coming on, on the show shows that you mean what you say because you want to create a bigger platform and a shout out to all the colleagues. And that's why I'm reaching out to all you media moguls is again to to share the passion and it's working so thank you for that um listen i always want to keep these shows oh, under one hour but we're, we're chatting so much so i'm looking at dala can we run okay. past one hour or not yeah he's nodding yes to me okay fourth question okay if you could teleport tomorrow where would you go um <laughs> tough question um i think probably I think instead of teleporting somewhere, I would like to teleport all the people that are close to me, my friends, my family, and have them here. In you know, I'd, I'd love for everyone to be together because um, I think I think now, especially, it's um, as we know, you know, what's going on in the world, what's going on, you know, in terms of this this crazy pandemic in terms of politics, in terms of everything, it's it's very, very unprecedented times. And I miss traveling, you know, I, I still do for work a little bit, but I travel like 10% of what I usually do because normally I'm, I'm flying like every week maximum somewhere, you know, so it's it's unusual for me, but, but it's also very nice for me to be home with my family and to do things that I would never have had the time to do. And what I would love to do is teleport in, you know, all my close friends and, and the rest of my family and to be able to enjoy this time together um, without having to think about, so, without having to think so much about work or all this other stuff while we have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing. Fifth question. What book are you currently reading? Um, I, I just finished a book called uh, never split the difference yeah i've read that it's fast right yeah 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 very very good book Amazing book. Very, very interesting uh i was given um, a book which i have yet to start but i promised to start this week which is called uh principles by ray dalio which is um okay i don't know that one a famous, uh, entrepreneur and, and trader uh, and it's meant to be a very very good book so that's the next one that i'm opening up few days okay cool sixth question 
What do you think is going to be the color of 2021? Oh, Jesus. Uh, the color of 2021. I mean, you love colors. You said so. So, yeah, I do. I do. Um, what would be the color of 2021? I mean, okay, let's go back. What is the color of 2020? What, what do we define as the color? I, I, wrote, I read columns. I wrote in 2019 that the color of 2020 is green. We okay. saw that in jewelry. It yeah. also translated to watches. Okay. So that I think it's green, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's a beautiful watch. In watchmaking, yeah. it's a lot of blue already for many years. Yeah. Green came up already, and it's, yeah. it's really exploding this year. So I'm curious, yeah. what do you think for 2021? Oof. Tough question. Um, I feel like rainbow was the color of 2019, personally. Uh -huh. 2019, 2018, 2020, like that. That whole movement of the rainbow, yeah, ring thing. Yeah? yeah. I mean, look, you see, I, my my ring now is is this like rainbow sapphire, exactly the one that you see in the picture. Awesome. And I feel like that really took over. Um, since Rolex did that, it, it became yeah, it became something that a lot of other brands kind of followed. As, as I agree, and it translated now to dials, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Riding yeah. rainbow. Yeah, exactly. And that's the gem setting. Yeah. I agree. Um, for I, I think we'll probably see. Um, I, I would like to see like a return to like vivid types of colors, and I think we saw with Rolex and their their uh, Oyster Perpetual line this kind of return to stellar type of dials. These uh, you know Tiffany color like green and yellow, red, blue, like these type of vivid. Um, uh, colorful dials and and maybe that's a transition i would love to see i would love to see a return of real interesting stone dials because from a vintage point of view i love that you know like malachite and, mm -hmm. and tiger eye and uh, you know even jade like what what fp jean used to use in some of the older pieces and these japan limited editions i remember seeing what i told you on in jade that i was just in love with from him um uh, i love like this tiffany blue if I show you here, it's like the color of. Let's see, but the light here is is this blue kind of Tiffany thing. Yeah, that's cool. That's it. so. That at the moment is like my my favorite color. Yeah. Um. I even have a book here, which is the same color of my watch. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, those type of vivid stone dials is uh, something that I would like. I would love to see a return to. Me too. I have I have two wishes. Sylvain Dola, the old CEO of Hamilton, is now CEO Tissot. He's a yeah. buddy of mine. I really, really hope he's going to bring back the rock watch, talking about watches and okay. stone. So yeah. full stone case. Okay. And I, I, I found it super cool what Rolex did on these um, Tutti Frutti oyster. Yeah. That it's a rather traditional company. So it's actually crazy what they did with the Rainbow Daytonas. Yeah. That's already in a tiger. But in such a weird time to launch these colors, actually very bold and innovative, I think, for yeah. such a company. So I find that super cool. Yeah. I believe it's an antidote for these dark times we live in right now. So how do you perceive yeah. that, these moves to color? I think, I think it's something that obviously is quite striking. And in, in a time where maybe um, – it's not the wisest to launch something that's going to be completely new and very complicated, like a Skydweller type of release. 
yeah. um, it's something that gets people excited, gets people interested, you know, and, and it's it's brought in a, a new type, not a new type of buyer, but I think it's brought people into Oyster Perpetual in a way that wasn't there before, you know, because yeah. I don't think, you know, the type of person that was collecting, um, you know, high-end uh, gold or platinum Daytonas was ever going to be in the market for a steel Oyster Perpetual before. Yeah. It wasn't really on their radar. But then it became a thing that I want to get is the Pokemon of of watches this year is I want to collect all of the yeah, 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 yeah. so I think yeah. it's a good move and and right I think at a time where you know a lot of things are quite bleak and we're reading normally about bad news every day uh, whatever's going on uh, in the world in different parts of the world in politics and, and all this stuff I think it's a nice respite for people so this thing what you said about the pokemon by the way uh on topic of predictions yeah do you think that these dials will be long in rotation you saw that the grape dial didn't last that long no the the the, the gray one with the blue yeah. indexes which is stunning as well went out rather quickly yeah what is your prediction on these now talking about pokemons how quick should you collect these pokemons <laughs> I, I think if if we've seen uh, any um, historical uh, analysis of Rolex when it comes to these type of things. Um, normally, it's not going to be too long in production uh, and it's not going to be too readily available, um, which obviously makes the scarcity uh, higher, makes the collectability uh, a lot higher as well. Um, so I think, I mean, if you have the opportunity to get one, it's, it's, it's a very very nice watch to have at a very accessible price point um, for Rolex, especially uh, because normally when you're going to talk about collectible Rolexes, you're talking about sports pieces, uh, GMTs or, or Daytonas or, or anything of, of that nature. Um, so it's, it's a really good entry point for people if they're, if they're able to get into, into a watch like that right now. Yeah. Nice. Last question. I know you've been to Amsterdam. Yes. What is your favorite memory? Of Amsterdam? Um, well, Amsterdam is a very cool place, actually. Um, I, uh, I remember going there one summer and, and being in the canals and being on, the, on a boat with some friends and, and drinking on the boats and playing music. And we ordered an Uber Eats, like some address, and ended up sailing there. And the guy came off the bicycle and brought like four boxes of pizzas and it, it's such a cool city. There's so much like nice culture. There's so many interesting things there. You know, it has a history of uh, with with watchmaking. It, of course, has a history with diamonds as well. That was yeah. I remember like early on. That's what when I was reading about Amsterdam was really the diamond market. That I was reading a lot about uh, back in like probably late nineties, early two thousands. Um, so no, I, I love Amsterdam. It's uh, it's an amazing place. Nice. Bonus question about talking about cities. Yeah. You travel so much, and you meet collectors uh, of the world. What I, is, you think, the best watch city in the world? The best watch city in the world. Hard to say. I think Hong Kong, in in its prime, was unbeatable. To be honest, I never I never saw a place with so many stores and so much stock selection um, anywhere. Um, I think now. It's because of the economic situation, political situation, it's a bit different. Um, 
but for me, Hong Kong has always been one of the one of the biggest by far. I mean, we can say London, we can say Paris as well. It's quite big. New York has always been quite big. We have, you know, you have all of, of course, the main stores, but then you have places like 47th Street, which is like tons and tons of, uh, of of dealers and inventory and stuff like that. And it's all these places have different different things going for them. Um, but if I had to say one place historically, it would have been Hong Kong, I think. And collectors wise. So aggregation of collectors. Um, Japan is is probably up there, uh, if not if not number one, it's definitely up there. Um, uh, Asia in general is is quite big and quite dense in terms of the the amount of collectors. And I think Singapore especially was always like quite ahead of places, mm -hmm. even in, in west in the Western world, especially mm -hmm. when it came independent brands and what they were collecting before everyone else. I think if you ask most independent brands, their number one uh, place of, of retail or distribution in Singapore still. Uh, even, even Why do you think that is? I don't know, actually. I think I think part of it is the, that I think the idea of collective culture there was born a lot earlier than other places. Um, and I think the idea of a lot of these get-togethers and and doing events tailored around collectors and building communities around collectors that was probably one of the places that led um that that movement um before a lot of other places and because of that i think a lot of people um that were living in singapore were educated a lot more and able and felt comfortable to take risks let's say, in buying independent brands because their peer group would understand. I think we lost Anish. I'm looking at Dala. You still can hear me? Okay. I think his connection... Uh went bad let's see if he comes back so i don't know if um the feed is still working i think it is uh one of the reasons i think that singapore is a huge watch collecting community and is very knowledgeable and especially on the independence is uh a big factor is the tay family t-a-y um Let's see. Anish is coming back. Sorry. Yeah, we lost you. Yeah, I don't know. Why. I think something wrong with my Wi-Fi. But... How are you time-wise, Anish? I'm good. I'm good. No rush. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. While you froze on us, I was uh, filling in uh, a bit of info. Why I think Singapore is a huge uh, collector's community. I think one of the yeah. reasons the Tay family, Tay T A Y. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one that, because. Um, I became friends with Michael Tay about two, three years ago. Yeah. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like a, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Uh, um, great pedigree. His dad, yeah. I think even his granddad started in Singapore. Right. With, uh, uh, watch stores. Today, they still own the Hourglass, one of the biggest retailers in the world. But they share so much knowledge and passion. So true passion. I think they are one of the seed... They planted one of the seeds also for Singapore. All yeah. right. 
So Agreed. this is the autographs. These are our friends in Singapore. By the yeah. way, they also make very cool nomos <laughs> collabs. So Excellent. they're definitely not watch snobs either. So check them out. And um, we write about their limited editions on our minimatical Nomos blog, which is an Ace production. Okay. Um, so, Anish, before we go to the questions from our viewers, yeah, do you want to talk a bit about your partnership with eBay? Sure. Um, so, we uh, we made this partnership basically. We were approached by eBay. Um, to talk about the experience of buying watches on eBay, which I, I had already been doing um, from the beginning of my my collecting journey, yeah, um, and really like what can we do to to build um, a stronger place within the watch collecting community for eBay as a as a marketplace, mm -hmm. um, and we looked at what are the pros and cons within the uh, general consensus of buying on eBay. You know, what, what is, is uh, some issues that we can look at uh, that we, to give customers confidence and to give retailers and, and sellers confidence as well, because it's a two-way thing. Mm -hmm. You have to have confidence also as a seller mm -hmm. to, to sell your inventory through there. Um, and I, I am, you know, still a, a client and, and a buyer through eBay and have used it for many things, you know, whether it's in the beginning before I could afford really to, to buy watches, I was buying like old uh, display cases and, and point of sale um, items from there, you know, from Rolex and Cartier and stuff like that. It, it would have been like uh, window displays or clocks or things like that before I could, before I could buy watches. And that's, that's what I was using that platform for. And really the amount of inventory that's on there is, is crazy, it's huge. And what I, I found is if we're able to talk about the platform and the way that people interact with it and improve that user journey, um, then I think we can increase their position within this marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and within working alongside retailers, working alongside private sellers, and giving confidence also to private buyers and individuals that are using it to purchase uh, pieces. And now one of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next piece of content that we're making is what <clears throat> they've just introduced, which is this authenticity guaranteed uh, program where um, a watch over the value of $2,000 will be entered into a section within eBay, which is an authenticity guaranteed pick. Um, and if you're buying any item within there, then that watch will be sent from the seller. It will be sent to eBay, first of all, who at no charge to the buyer will conduct a series of tests and check the authenticity of the watch and that it matches the exact description that's been given by the seller yeah. to check everything is okay before then sending that watch to the buyer. And they have experts and people that are trained uh, within you know these, these specific areas to be able to carry that out. So it's no longer a blind purchase as such, even though it never was I mean, normally, like the, the the buyer journey would be if you're if you're intelligent enough. I think, like in anything, if I'm going to make a purchase, I would ask a lot of questions before, you know, 
what is this? What is that? Can you show me a picture of this? Can you send me a video of this? What is the serial number? Do you have the original papers? You know, how did you buy it? You know, can you show me a close up of this or a video of this if I want to see the condition? But maybe not everyone is, is or has um, had experience enough to ask those questions. So what this does is it's, made, it's taken a lot of that out of the hands and responsibility of the buyer and put it into the hands of eBay to deliver a product that has had a lot of these checks performed on it and then delivered to the buyer at no additional cost. So let's do a deep dive on that. Is it global or just US for now that they do this authenticity check? No, actually it's it's global because I, well, I bought a watch and I'm waiting for delivery for it now. Yeah. Um, and so actually, depending on UPS, when they decide to deliver, it's either today or tomorrow, um, it should come. So, and that, that was from a seller in the US um, that sent it. So the seller so sent it. Would, so would that watch be sent to a watchmaker or somebody that's authorized to authenticate for eBay in the US and then ship it to you? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. It will be sent to eBay to a centralized point where eBay yeah. would have a series of people who are qualified to look at that particular watch. And it may be a different set of people who are looking at vintage watches or looking at specific brands because maybe they're experts within that brand. There may be a person that's an expert for Omega that's looking for Omega pieces that are sent and sold through there. Yeah. there someone else for Rolex. There may be someone else for modern contemporary brands. Um, and I those think, by the way, I think it's an amazing uh, move on eBay's behalf. Uh, by coincidence, I did a consultancy gig last Monday about auction houses. Okay. Offline and online in a general term, just not just watches. And um, I told them to look at this, that I thought it was an amazing move by eBay. And I, I indicated that you had something to do with it. I didn't know that you were in such a basically consultancy capacity behind the scenes as well. It's just not, it's not just a marketing collab. No, it's, I, th I think <laughs> like, like, like we said, we, we want to be authentic as possible. We gave, we gave feedback on our, on our experience or my experience of buying on eBay. Yeah. What were the positives? What are the negatives? And, and the thing is that they're, they're very good in terms of, of understanding their client as well. You know, they, they've been doing this for it's 25 years, I think now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a long time for such a huge marketplace. And, and we're talking about watches, which is one category. But if I want to look for, um, you know, a Patek 5970, or if I want to look for a steam iron, I can look on one place and I'm going to find both. And it's quite crazy the amount of inventory they have and the amount of specialist divisions that they need to have, but they still pay attention to all of these because the amount of, of interaction and the amount of, of conversations that we had just on the watch division, you know, is really, really good. And they're, they're really pushing to make it a, a, a much more, a, to elevate the buying experience further, yeah, even than what it is so far. And, um, for a consumer or seller, what yeah. are the pros and cons if we compare it, for example, to a Chrono 24? I think... Um, they don't the, authenticate, do they? No, no. I yeah. mean, Chrono 24 is more of a, if, if I'm speaking like, you know, from, from personal experience, it's more of a dealer network where dealers will upload, upload what they have or what they claim to have, because a lot of yeah. the time they don't have physical yeah. There's no requirement um, or, or much in terms of um, 
I mean, there, there, there's a level of vetting, let's say. But once the sale is done, there's not much that Chrono24 can do if it doesn't go correctly. You know, if you buy a watch or you buy a part, let, let's say it's a part, for example. Let's say you buy a dial and you bought a dial that was said to be in pristine condition and it arrives to you and there's a scratch on the dial which wasn't shown in the pictures clearly, yeah. which, which wasn't which wasn't relayed to you, wasn't spoken about in any of any of the text that was written there, there's not much in the way of recourse for you, bar some goodwill from the seller, you know, which we don't know if that's going to happen or not. You know, so what what eBay have done is taken that out of your hand and even out of your responsibility as a buyer. Said we will check it. We will look at it. We will look at it against what it has been described as and if it doesn't match then there's no cost to you your money is refunded in full and the item is returned back to the uh, <clears throat> it's, it's basically <coughs> curating it sorry StockX does that with sneakers i saw ebay is also going yeah. to authentic sneakers because i collect sneakers as well i think that the big difference yeah. is chrono 24 did different levels of buyers so we are one of the we're actually the first authorized dealer ever to sell online on Chrono24. Wow. They elevated us by accrediting the year that we started. We're sure. a trusted seller. And yeah. basically, they implement escrow. So yeah. Yeah. the consumer pays Chrono24. We yeah. ship the watch to the consumer. If they authorize it, we get the payment. Yeah. eBay, my question to you, is it always going to be auction, listing, or buy yeah. now? Which yeah. they have that option, right? Yeah. Are they going to in the future or now maybe already? If I say as Ace, I want to sell on eBay, yeah. could I get that automated accreditation of authenticity? Would eBay go there, you think? Or would I always need yeah. to send what I think what, what eBay have and have had for a long time is is the equivalent of, of what they call a power seller, right? And mm -hmm. that's their that's their accreditation, their version of the accreditation. The difference of it being in escrow and not is that what it stops is, let's say, <clears throat> let's say person A is buying from person B. Um, so the seller will send the watch and the money is held in escrow. Once it's received, if the, the, the buyer says, hey, this isn't correct or the person has sent me a watch that is not the one that they put in the listing. The, the person selling will argue that the buyer has swapped the watch and the buyer will argue that the seller hasn't sent them something. And without real documented evidence, okay, videoing the opening of the box, and blah, blah, which not everyone is going to do. It's an argument between the two and who is right and who is wrong. Then it's he said, she said. Whereas having an intermediary that physically looks and sees the piece and then authenticates it and then sends it on, that takes that element of risk out of the yeah, equation. I think that's the point. It also elevates the whole watch game. Yeah. It's yeah. online buying. It elevates peer-to-peer. -peer. It helps the vintage market, the pre-owned market. I think it's amazing. So yeah. kudos to eBay and to you guys for teaming up. I, th I think I think it's a really good implementation, and I think Definitely. it's a really good elevation of... of the, the buying and selling experience. And and like I say, like with, with them, what they have is power seller. So what that does is it takes it takes your feedback, your percentage of positive feedback, 
because each transaction will have a, a two-way feedback between the buyer and seller. So the percentage of that has to be over 98% or something like that positive. Um, the volume of transactions that you do, um, the speed of your communication, the speed of your delivery of the item. Um, there's, I think, like 10 different factors that come into it. And then once you attain this over a period of time, um, then you have what's called power seller status, which also opens up different marketing avenues within eBay and so on and so on. But basically, that's the equivalent of being a trusted seller on other platforms. Okay, awesome. Thank you. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. So before we dive into the questions of our viewers, I had one that I wanted to ask you because we focus very strongly on Instagram. And that's where you started. But you do so much more. Could you please yeah. share what you guys as a team are working on? I know you had a magazine. You do collabs. You have products. Yeah. Um, do you have a blog, an online magazine? Do you do that? We're just we're just redoing our website now. So, yeah, it, it will be back up and running hopefully within the next uh, 10 days. Yeah. Uh, we're just doing a whole complete revamp of everything. But, yeah, we'll have, we'll have that back up and running as well. Um, yeah. And then it's it's – what, what we do is we do a lot of stuff that's not branded by us, let's say. We do a lot of content creation for brands, whether it's watch brands or other brands within other categories, um, travel, hospitality, beverages, blah, 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 uh, and, and utilize all the content creators that we've worked with, that we use, and obviously the ideas that we have, which are, are, are typically quite out of the box and a bit different. So we work with brands that want to do something that's penetrative, that's left field of, of normal marketing within whichever sector that, that they're operating in. That's the type of clientele that we like to take on, people that want to, to create something that's different and is going to make an impact. If it's, if it's to come and do a project which is like very um, formulaic, it's not interesting for us and it's not something that we really, we really take on because we, we try to work on things that are going to be different because ultimately if you're excited about working on something you you, you have a lot more ideas and you, you push yourself a lot more in delivering yeah. those so i put a banner up with your instagram handle i assume sure. url is just com yeah so for those that have never seen they can definitely have a look it's pleasing to the eye um i want to ask dal in the time being maybe to find that video that's shot with a drone of that luxury hotel in switzerland what was the name anish uh, Ultima. Uh, Ultima. So, Dala, maybe you can find that video where they uh, shoot an awesome production of that uh, amazing hotel. And in the time being, I want to say that I remember that uh, cold, cold Sunday. We met up the day before SIHH started in Geneva. We hung out, and then you you guys were doing a shoot for Mont Blanc. And yeah. that's a brand people wouldn't necessarily associate you guys with. Um, Dal, in the time being, found that video you guys produced, which I loved, and I think that's the next level. Um, so this is, this is more like a behind-the-scenes video of the project. Yeah. Um, but I think if you go on their page, you see um, the actual production video of what it was. And the, the idea of, of this video was to show that as a guest of one of their chalets, even your pets are VIPs. So, you know, you have... The dogs in the in the yeah. spa, you know, having spa treatments. You have one going into the wine cellar, um, you know, uh, picking out a petrus or you know stuff like this. So having yeah. this happy experience as any guest would, and that, that was the and, concept. 
and we saw you in the shot and and yeah. that's not staged because that's what i wanted to say when we met you I'm, i'm talking about i don't know that shoot was seven eight years ago yeah um in geneva for mont blanc yeah. you directing it you're there you're not just a show guy you come up with creative ideas you have an amazing team we met your photographer stylist light so you invest heavily also um yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not a one-trick pony and 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 you elevate your game because this thing was done with drones you have a whole crew uh it, it took days to shoot this right yeah it was a it was a five-day shoot uh, we had yeah, uh, yeah. we had i think seven dogs on set with handlers uh, yeah. had to organize for everyone to come in and and uh and to you know and and to do all this in a controlled environment of a 40 million euro villa you know, chalet yeah. you know yeah. so uh, a lot of stress Uh, but you have to have a lot of trust from your, yeah. your clients in order to yeah. do this. And you also organize get-togethers, right? I remember that not, well, this Basel didn't exist, but previous Basel, yeah. you guys did a little city trip with eight collectors. I Was it for Bethune or? Uh, yeah, we did. We did with uh, Kerberdams. We did a, yeah. a private jet from Basel yeah. to Rome for... Yeah and then back to Basel the same evening and yeah. then we left it and then we hosted a, another event in um, in Aqua in Basel in the in the bar in the cigar yeah. area. Uh, so, that, so, so you keep on pushing the envelope um, if we are back to normal 2021 summer 2021 yeah what are you guys working on that you can share with us um, cat my dog behind me um there, there's stuff that we are working on but we have a lot of ndas that we signed so i can't i can't give too much info yet um in terms of hospitality uh we have a lot of cool things that are, that we're doing uh this winter season with with ultima especially uh in terms of brand partnerships in terms of uh really interesting and, and, and beautiful new openings um which we'll announce in, in the next uh, week or so. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot of really interesting stuff, and I'm sorry to be so vague. No, no, no. I, I asked if you can. So let me, let me spin. Let's spin my question. What's your view on yeah. the fairs? Are they dead in the water, or do you think that we'll see a revival? Actually, you know what? Like, I wanted to do, and I had the idea of doing something for the fairs, actually, And it was like 95% agreed. And at the last minute, they said we couldn't do it. But what I wanted to do um, was uh, actually with a friend of mine, Alex Friedman, who has another uh, watch publication called Watchanista. And uh, I was talking with the guys who, who, were, who were managing Baselworld as it was. And the idea that I, we wanted to do was to take um, the, a Ghostbusters car, which a friend of mine owns a lot of movie cars, like original cars from movies, and he's in Europe. And we wanted to take the car from Ghostbusters and to go into Baselworld, into Hall One, to yeah. see all the built pavilions, which are empty and sitting empty, and to do a reportage about the ghost of Baselworld in time for Henry. But uh, the idea was almost uh, okay, and then at the last minute they said they can't do it. So. Unfortunately, and now, now I think maybe there's going to be some revival or something. I don't know um, for the future, but um, 
I, uh, I was really excited about doing that until they said we couldn't. But I thought cool that idea. Cool. And we did see these cars at the Geneva Watch Days at... Um... At Louis Monet. Louis Monet, yeah. Louis Monet had uh, the DeLorean, yeah. uh, the Jurassic Park car. I think there was one other, I can't remember. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All um, right, awesome. So if you don't mind, let's do a few questions. Yeah, absolutely. I'm cool. going to thank you. Sure. Um, one of our regulars is Rocky. He has his own crew of Dutch watch collectors, which are called the Watch Watch uh, Four Crew. Um, he says, "Hi, Anish. What's your most favorite watch complication, and why on YouTube?" Ah, um, favorite complication, God. Um, I love visual complications. So, I mean, I let's say stuff like what we were doing with the satellite display or what Harry Winston did with the Opus 3. Um, I love interesting ways of telling the time. Um, so, I mean, time telling is not really a complication, but I think the execution and visually the dance and the animation of it uh, is really cool. I love, you know, uh, watches with animatrons and even, even these like, you know, not that like erotica pieces that they did and, with all these moving parts or let's say let's you know keep it pg it's before 9 p.m like the genghis khan and things like yeah. this with a lot of animation and moving elements within the watch so it takes it from a device that tells time into something that is a, a miniature mechanical piece of art that's yeah, how yeah, i see. so yeah. that's what i love to see you know these yeah even stuff like this the, the jacob roulette uh, casino sorry it's called uh, you know, with this functional casino ball inside a, a watch, which was never done before. It's crazy. You know, roulette watches, but to have a real ball like dancing around inside is, is very different. Yeah, um, so yeah, I love stuff like that. Amazing. Rocky, thank you for watching. Thank you for uh, posting your question. Um, on Facebook, Bus Deckers is asking, our IWC made a uh, pilot perpetual calendar yeah. for Lewis Hamilton. Is yeah. this something Rolex would consider? And then he wrote in brackets BLM, which I assume stands for Black Lives Matters. Yeah. What is your view on that, Anish? Um, I mean, I think the days of Rolex endorsements, let's say, mm -hmm. um, is not really there anymore um, because I think from a corporate position as a brand, they the last one that they really did was the Italian uh, Navy... Uh, or the or the Panama River, I can't remember one of them. Um, but they don't really do any of these type of endorsement like stuff. Like like with Hamilton, for example, Hamilton is of course an ambassador of IWC, and and this watch, of course, was born after of the discussion of Black Lives Matter and the whole movement that has taken place since it's become so big, rightfully so. Um, I don't I don't think Rolex politically get involved in something like that from. Like, from an explicit point of view. Maybe there's something behind the scenes in terms of support or donations or something like that, but I don't know. I'm not in a position to comment. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, like, if you're talking about would Rolex make a black colored perpetual calendar, uh, in terms of a black case, I don't think it's something we've seen. I think we see Tudor, you know, as a really cool brand doing stuff that a lot of people wanted from Rolex, but Rolex being very traditional wouldn't do so. Tudor are like the cool sibling of Rolex that's doing all the Destros and the ceramic pieces and, you know, all the really cool, like, 
reissues and guilt dials and blah 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 that people are like oh which rolex is that okay rolex on but tudor do it and in a very yeah. cool way yeah okay thank you for answering that um some questions we got beforehand is one of them is how did you get so many followers on instagram okay you probably get um, that asked every day right <laughs> sorry you get that asked every day yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I don't know. It's the honest answer. I don't know. If I knew, then uh, I would have sold that secret many times. Um, but like I said, I think we just did something um, different and interesting and fun and engaging, mm -hmm. uh, and at the right time when social media was really at the beginning of taking off in an exponential way. When 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 we joined Instagram, Instagram had a total of. 25 million followers or 25 million users sorry or 30 million mm -hmm. users i think there's somewhere over a billion now um so you can see you know that growth is is huge and we we uh, managed to 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 do something interesting at a time where really it was growing at such an exponential rate and, and we didn't know instagram was going to be so big and we didn't know you know all this stuff was going to happen but um I think the key was believing in your content, believing in the message that you're sending out and the things that you're doing, the time that you're investing, the money that you're investing to bring a, a, a really cool, interesting way of communication about a certain subject. And that, that's what we tried to do. And like I said, in an authentic way, and I think people um, can hopefully see that. I know, like you said, there's this uh, misconstrued type of opinion um, of us being like quite show off or quite unapproachable, or quite egotistical. Um, and maybe, you know, that's something that I should look at talking about more. Um, but really, I, tr I try to make it. That like being said, Amish, sorry mm. to interrupt you. You're very well spoken. You're easy on camera. Do you do a lot of video stuff? Yeah, I mean, no, I think, as well. I'm not talking about shooting videos, yeah. Right. Which I mean, I, I'm used to. Views. I wouldn't say I've done a lot of video stuff. I've done quite a lot of interviews and so on, but I think I'm just, I'm not, I'm not someone that prepares so much in most things, but I'm someone that goes a lot of emotion, that goes a lot of whatever is happening. Like you know, you sent the questions to me, but I didn't really prepare answers for them. Yeah. I just read the questions to see if there's something in there that I need to think about. But otherwise, you know, I don't prepare much. I yeah. go on the spur of the That's moment. That's why you're good on the camera. You're quick on your feet and authentic. Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing. I don't need to think so much on my feet because if you ask me something, I try and tell you in the most clear and honest way. I don't need to think too much because if you ask me, I answer it in a way, you know, that I would answer to you if we're having a conversation off camera as well. Um, uh, but... Would you do a lot of, let's say, Instagram live sessions? I saw that you did one with eBay, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of Watch Anish as well. I followed from the yeah. beginning, and I still like every picture, and I enjoy it still very much after all these years. So I don't get bored. But I would love to see you do what we're doing right. with these guys of the ultra niche independent watchmakers. And what I also yeah. would love to see is you doing interviews with all these collectors you meet worldwide. Yeah, I would even want to see a watch Anish documentary <laughs> shot over a period of a long time, and you guy interviewing and finding that red thread that connects everyone. I would love to, you know, the thing is, I would love to do stuff like that. The, what 
what I have to always be respectful of sometimes is that it's some collectors, even though they're happy to show their collection, they're quite private as individuals and, and they don't want to show their face. I have the same issue. I have a lot of collectors on this show that privacy they they show everything on Instagram, but it's a, it's a pseudonym. So it's not the real name. Yeah. it's a bit different, you know, to, to, yeah. to have a conversation with the black screen and their voice changer, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. it becomes criminal. So. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to do it and, and, and you know, we'll think of, of cool ideas to do. Okay, so this is a shout out to all the viewers. Who wants to be on a Watch Anish production documentary? And we'll <laughs> yeah. get it on Netflix. <laughs> that could be cool. Right. Awesome. Um... So we have a lot of more questions coming in. Um, we've been chatting for 90 minutes. Um, the last one is Bas. He needs to leave. Great initiative or interview he writes. Again, Aloma Joseph. Thanks, Anish, for this. You know thank what? You. I think let's leave it at this. Okay. I want to thank you so, so, so much. Uh, it's been amazing. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Our episode is coming Monday again with Antonio Pena and Fabrizio Bonamassa. We did a session with them. It was like this. We were chatting and chatting and we were running out of time. So we didn't handle any questions there. So definitely tune in because Monday is going to be all about questions from our viewers. We spoke a lot about innovation, about design. I think Fabrizio is, is the reincarnation of Gerald Genta or designs in his spirit i think he's an amazing guy so yeah. so do you cover a lot of uh, bulgari yeah we do a fair amount i mean like what do you think of uh, the, the the last question then what do you think of the, these guys i th- i think they've done a phenomenal job in repositioning bulgari as not just a woman's jewelry brand yeah i think they've done a really really amazing job in in positioning them as a serious watchmaker in really bringing in the acquisition of Gerald Genta brand, in invigorating the Octo line in a completely different way, achieving all these world records that they did, you know, across multiple models and in different ways, altered in this and thinness this and thinness this, it, but not just in like a round case, but in a really interesting modern way um, with interesting modern materials. Um, I, I really applaud what they did. You know, I'm a big fan of. Of, of what they achieved in the past, let's say, six years. Because Bulgari was, you know, if you talked about Bulgari, maybe there was the diagonal or a couple of men's references you might know. But Bulgari was, for me, when I was thinking about it, normally a brand that made jewellery and sunglasses and perfume and soap. Yeah. You know, I didn't think about it seriously. Oh, as a plenty for women. That's what they were known for. But they, they have done incredibly well. Yeah, you know, it's serious. I, I love the brand. I love these guys. I love what they do. They have such a long-term strategy. Although they are part of a ve- the biggest luxury group in the world, yeah, they run totally independent. Yeah, they are verticalized. They can do whatever they want. And I've been there in all their factories in Neuchâtel and and uh, the Valley, and it's amazing. Yeah. All right, Anish, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so Thank much you. for sitting down with me. Thank you. Uh, hope to meet up in person again soon. Yeah, I hope so. Absolutely. Enjoy the amazing weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
sure you have thank the sun. Send us some sun. Sure. And uh, talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Take care. Bye -bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.